When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of those of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, other half of the podcast. Kyle, another Sunday in the books, man. Playoffs are getting closer. How you doing, bro? Bro, chilling. Had a long day at work, but I was able to keep up with some of the games today. But, uh, bro, I, I hate the fact that you mentioned that. Bro, we're already in week 13. You know, Obviously, after the Monday night game, we'll be on our way to week 14. But it just goes so fast. Like, it felt like we just started on week one, week two, like a week ago. And we're already basically, what, three months into the season already? Which is it's just it's, nuts. It's just crazy how fast it goes. But I will say, though, it's been extremely exciting the first 13 weeks. And hopefully well, the last couple of weeks from here on out are just as exciting, if not even more so. But I've got to say, bro, week 13 did not disappoint. We had some great games take place this weekend. So I know we got a lot to cover. We'll also talk a little bit about the NBA as well. Are you ready to dive into these topics? Yes. So, obviously, we got to start with the biggest game of the week. Uh, the Chiefs and the Bengals game did not disappoint. The Bengals won by the score of 27-24. to And what was really a back-and-forth affair in that 4 o'clock game slate for Week 13. And I got to give my partner credit. He did pit the Bengals to win that game. He had faith in Joe Burrow, and he came through. So Joseph... Joey B gets it done once again. And I think this is actually, what, the third time in a row that the Bengals Third time have in this year. Wait, what? Third time this year. They showed the three games that they played. They played before the playoffs began. They played in the division. Oh, they played yeah, in the yeah, championship. Yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. They... So, that, the, bro, the win streak just continues. So, I'll give you credit on that one. I was, I did say, though, that I could definitely see the Bengals winning that game. And, bro, we actually did get the point spread right, I think. Like, we had it, like, a, as a three- or four-point game. So, Kev, what's up? This man just threw an interception. Bro, you, you got to let it go. You got to let that Colts game go, bro. Like, you already knew it was over with. Like, you even said it after the, the freaking fumble by Mo Alley Cox. The game was over. I just can't deal with this shit. Sorry, I just—I literally saw it just happen, and I'm just like, bro. You gonna put Sam back in? Well, no, Sam's not even suited. It's, it's uh, Foles that's suited. Oh, okay. Because well, that makes me feel better. Yeah. What a Super Bowl. Goodums. Yeah. So it's good. It's gonna come for something. And though. and and anywho, back to the agenda. Not my heartbreak. Okay, but after that, uh, we'll talk about the Commanders and Giants game, which I can't believe we're actually going to talk about a tie that took place between the two of them. I think this is actually the first time that Kevin and I are ever going to cover a segment where the game actually ended in a tie. Usually, yeah, because we like, didn't talk about we didn't talk about the, the Colts and the Texans. It, usually, I, I have a Ted Lasso quote uh, when it comes to ties. It's like, you know, whenever Americans see a tie in a football game, that's usually like the sign of the apocalypse. Because there's no way in hell like we could ever accept a tie, especially in football. We just we just don't do that here. 
But I know we'll, we'll talk about that game. We'll talk about you know where both teams go from here after that tie. And then we'll keep things in the NFC East. We'll talk about the Eagles just absolutely demolishing the Titans at home, winning by 25 points. And we'll just talk about just their overall standing, not only in the NFC East, not only in the NFC, but in the NFL to a larger extent, and whether or not that they can ride this all the way to the playoffs and then some uh, once we get to January. After that, we kick it over to the 49ers. Uh, the 49ers had a relatively solid day against the Miami Dolphins, but that's not really the big story here. The big story is that Jimmy Garoppolo is out for the rest of the season after suffering a broken foot early in the game, and Brock Purdy came in and filled in as the backup quarterback. We'll essentially talk about where the 49ers go from here and how this affects their playoff implications moving forward into January. After that, we will round out our football segments with a preview of the Saints and Bucks game that's going to take place on Monday night. And then we'll round out the episode talking about Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis of the Los Angeles Lakers has been absolutely, he's been killing it the last, I'd say, month or so. I was actually looking at some of his stats from November 10th, somewhere around that time frame, to now, which is basically a month. He hasn't had a game under 25 points that he's actually played in. So he's been putting up 25 points plus in every game that he's been in since basically the beginning of November. So he's just been on an absolute tear. He just dropped 55 points on Sunday night, or actually I think it was Sunday afternoon, against the Washington Wizards. So we'll just kind of dive into the, that segment and just talk about how special AD has been uh, essentially the last month of the season. So it still is relatively early in the NBA season, so there's a long time to go before we reach the playoffs, but he's definitely been special so far. And that will pretty much round out the agenda for the episode. So without further ado, let's dive into this Chiefs and Bagels game, which was by far and away our featured matchup of the week. Uh, the Bagels come out on top against the Kansas City Chiefs, winning by the score of 27 to 24. The Bengals' hot streak continues. They bump up to 8-4 and four for the season. The Chiefs fall back to 9-3 and three on the year. Overall, this was a back-and-forth game. And as far as I see it, Kev, this game lived up to expectations. And it was really nice to see both teams really have a lot of chances uh, to make some plays, make some things happen. But it was Joe Burrow at the end of the day that connected with T. Higgins on 3rd and 11 after the 2-minute warning that sealed the game for the Bengals to get that win over the Kansas City Chiefs. So to kick this one to you, how would you assess this Bengals win over the Kansas City Chiefs this past weekend? I would say that this could change their entire season, and not necessarily in the sense that they're having a bad one, but when you have a win against a team that has been pretty much steamrolling over the course of the last couple of weeks, and you beat them in your own home, and you, for the most part, shut them down in that fourth quarter to the point where they have zero, zero points, Travis Kelsey, of course, has a, a fumble late in the game, which ends up, you know, putting them behind uh, and, you know, taking away whatever air was in the hot air balloon for the Chiefs' potential comeback. But you look at this and you say the difference here is pressure. Joe Burrow was sacked one time, but only pressured two times. You look at this and you say Patrick Mahomes was sacked twice, but the QB hits stacked up. I think we're talking about eight or nine times he was hit in the backfield. He was never really able to get into a consistent rhythm, in my opinion. Joe Burrow was 25 of 31, six, six incompletions, two touchdowns, one sack, and a passer rating of 126. I mean, like, Joe Burrow has had the Chiefs number all year long. And like Kyle and I said at the top of the episode, they won at the very, very beginning of January, which was the final week or last two weeks of the season. 
they face off in the AFC Championship, and they obviously lose, and the Bengals go to the Super Bowl. And then we're talking about December, and the Bengals win again. So it just seems like the battle of Joe Burrow versus Patrick Mahomes has been completely one-sided. And that really, really, really has been in favor to Joe Burrow's success and being able to move the ball down the field and continue to extend plays with his legs. Today, he averaged over four yards per carry. He had 11 rushes for 46 yards. Joe Burrow, not exactly the most mobile quarterback in the world, but he had a rushing score. He had a rush as long as 16 yards. He was able to extend plays and get first downs multiple times, um, convert on third down, I mean, and so on and so forth. Again, they're not even back to full strength when I reference the Bengals because Joe Mixon was out with the concussion still. He hadn't been cleared from protocol. And Samaje P. Ryan steps up with 21 carries for 106 yards on the ground, five yards per carry. The Bengals are a very complete team. Jamar Chase looked good. Tyler Boyd looked good. Even though Tyler Boyd dropped a wide-open touchdown, you have to look at it like this game could have been blown out even further if Boyd catches that. So in terms of what the Bengals have been able to do, it just seems like they were able to get in the face of Patrick Mahomes. They weren't able to let him settle down and kind of get into it. I will give the Chiefs credit. They did not abandon the run game, and as a team, they averaged over five yards per carry because uh, Pacheco or Pacheco. 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 He had 66 yards. McKinnon had 51. Sky Moore had 12. Pat had 9. So, I mean, like, everybody contributed in certain pieces. But, again, everybody averaged over 4 yards per carry. So, they were able to move the ball effectively, at least in the run game. But when you think about Pat Mahomes, everybody, like, you know, for the most part, has that stigma or that, that, that conception, misconception, should I say, oh, Pat's going to go for 300 yards. Pat's going to throw for 3-4 scores. We've been saying this all season long. Just because you have become accustomed to having big games doesn't mean that you won't come back down to earth and have a normal game. Not to say that Pat had a bad game. He still had over 200 yards passing, but it wasn't exactly in a Patrick Mahomes fashion. So I'll just end this on on, on this simple note. Joseph, my boy, Burrow, uh, he pretty much owns Pat Mahomes in meaningful football. And again, if it wasn't for the AFC Championship win, I wouldn't say that this matters. But he seems to own Patrick in pretty much every category possible. So the Bengals look legit. They're surging. And with Lamar Jackson, unfortunately, getting hurt this week, it looks like the Bengals have an opportunity to take advantage and try to take command of this AFC North. Because at this point, if they keep winning the way that they are, and then they get Joe Mixon back, they're going to be in a running for a Super Bowl berth again if you keep giving them these opportunities. So again, kudos to the Bengals and my boy Joseph, man, because uh, this was a tough game the whole way. Kev, I, I just got to ask you, like, you remember first couple weeks of the season when the Bengals looked like complete dog water? They couldn't protect Ass. Joe Burrow. Like, they gave up, what, like 13, 15 sacks in the first two, three weeks of the season? Like, yep. It just looked like an absolute train wreck at the beginning of the year. But I got to say, man, the Bengals have come full circle since that atrocious start. I mean, I think in the first game, Joe had, what, four interceptions against the Steelers? Yeah, coming the from the append, uh, appendectomy, appendectomy from removing his appendix. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, I got to say, man, over the last, what, month and a half to two months, Joe Burrows looked like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And in the biggest game that I believe the Bengals have played the entire season, bro, he rose to the occasion. And I think he really was there to just – be that guy in that moment to make those plays. And he made them happen. So I got to give that kid a lot of credit because there were some opportunities where the Chiefs could have came back in that game. I mean, even on that third and 11 at the end of the fourth quarter, I mean, that was a tight throw that he threw to T. Higgins. I mean, he hit it right in the money. So 
Joe Burrow really stepped up when the Bengals needed him to. And, you know, that's why they're sitting at eight and four. But I mean, as far as the game is concerned, I think this game pretty much lived up to expectations. You know, this was the game that Kevin and I have been focusing on pretty much the last week or so, because, you know, when you have a situation where you got Joe Burrow, you got Patrick Mahomes, this is a rematch of last year's AFC championship game. And based off of how that game went down last year, we were of the fullest of mindsets that this game was going to probably live up to, if not exceed the AFC championship game last year, which was one of the best games we had seen just based off of the fact that the Bengals came back after kind of a slow start in that AFC championship game in the first half and really kind of punished Kansas city in the second half of that game to advance to the super bowl. And this was essentially the opposite of what happened uh, in the AFC championship game. The Bengals got off to a very hot start. They were up 14 to three at one point and the chiefs were the ones that had to claw back to get back into this game. And they did. They actually led, I believe multiple times in this game, or at least one time at least. And they had opportunities to be able to extend that lead. But you know, when I look back at this game, that fumble by Travis Kelsey, I think swung the entire momentum of the game because it looked like the Chiefs were advancing. They were moving the ball effectively. They would have been around midfield with about 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. But when, when uh, Travis Kelsey fumbles that ball, Joe Burrow takes advantage of the Chiefs mistake and they end up getting what is essentially the game winning touchdown um, with about like, I want to say like six or seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. I may have the time wrong, but nonetheless, you know, with that touchdown, the Bengals go up 27 to 24 and Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense had chances. They had opportunities to essentially tie the game or even take the lead. They just weren't able to execute. And it is like Kev said, Patrick Mahomes did not necessarily have one of those big type of Patrick Mahomes performances where he goes out and throws for 350 yards, three or four touchdowns and owns the game. That was not the case here. And it seems like the Bengals did a really good job to being able to just slow down Patrick enough to keep that Chiefs offense, I won't say out of rhythm, but out of that element where they just explode for 30 to 35 points because the Chiefs offense is definitely capable of that. But I got to give the Bengals credit for being able to limit Patrick to the day that he had. And when I look at Patrick in that fourth quarter, man, there were some opportunities that he had, just couldn't take advantage of them. Part of it was what the Bengals were presenting defensively. They were able to bring effective pass rushes. And even on one of those late drives that they had, they, the Bengals were able to get a sack. It pushed the Chiefs into a 55-yard field goal. Bucker ended up missing the field goal. And then the Bengals were able to execute on that drive to just milk the rest of the clock. And, you know, kind of like what I already mentioned, with Joe Burrow getting that crucial third down conversion after the two-minute warning, seals the deal. So, I mean, Joe Burrow and that Bengals offense, when they needed to execute, they did. And when it came to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense, they weren't able to. And looking back at, you know, before we even started this game, I said that whatever team was going to make the first mistake, more than likely was going to get punished for it. And I was of the mindset that the Bengals would make that mistake. That was not the case. The Chiefs made that mistake with Travis Kelsey fumbling the ball. And the Bengals took they took it and made the most of it as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, I guess from a bigger perspective at this point, um, the Bengals are probably in the top five of our power rankings. And I know Kev will definitely dive into that um, going after um, the Bucks and Saints game. On Monday, we'll probably drop that on Tuesday. But as far as I see, the Bengals are surging at the right time. 
they look like a team that is one of the most well-rounded teams in the NFL right now. Everybody outside of Joe Mixon is pretty much ready to go. And I'll tell you what, you know, we got a couple games left in December and probably like one or two in January. If they can run the table from here on out, you know, not only are they going to probably be AFC North champs, they could probably get, you know, one of those higher seeds, maybe get a two or three seed if they play their cards right. And when it comes to the Chiefs, this is just one of those games where a couple of mistakes here and there kind of cost them the game. This is a game that the Chiefs definitely could have had, though. This was definitely within their grasp, and they just fell a little bit short in that regard. But overall, I thought this game lived up to expectations, and I would not be mad if we saw these two teams run it back again in the playoffs because I think it's must-see football at this point. And I'm glad these teams were able to run it like they did this past weekend, and hopefully we get to see it once again in the playoffs. But no, good win for the Bengals. Uh, They're definitely searching at the right time for sure. Hey, but it's like you said, the team has come full circle. It's good to see the Bengals rebound from the start that they had. I mean, people were writing them off immediately. Last year was a fluke. Joe Burrow's not as good as people thought. It's all because Jamar Chase. The the narratives were like endless. Mm -hmm. And they find a way to turn it around. And despite them getting injured in certain places, obviously, Jamar Chase missed some time. Mixon's missing his second game. Like, they're still finding ways to win. Like, when we had said, when Jamar went out, that they would be fine if they made it to the Chiefs game. They are now on a four-game win streak, including the Chiefs game. This is how you build a team's confidence. This is how you want a team to go into a postseason to say, you know what? We have overcome adversity. We've overcome a rough start. We have new personnel on this team. And Joe Burrow is our guy. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is get healthy. Go into the playoffs at the end of December, beginning of January, and just win one game at a time. Just like they did last year, overcoming all the odds. All I will say is the offensive line needs to remain consistent. Mm-hmm. It's games like this where you get overconfident. Yo, we're back. We're here. We're good. The next game you give up five, six sacks to a nobody. I'm just saying in general. I don't know their schedule by heart. I just need to preface. If the Bengals' offensive line stays the way that it has over the last couple of weeks— this is how you keep Joe Burrow upright. This is how you win football games. It is literally that simple. No, I mean, I completely agree with you. I actually have their schedule pulled up here. So the next five games that they have in order, um, next week they got uh, the Browns at home. That's a big game for them because they got because absolutely Deshaun smoked. Is back. Well, not only that, they got absolutely smoked in that first one. And was that 32-13? Yeah, it was an absolute beatdown. I mean, you know, you get beat down by Jacoby Brissett like that. The Bengals are going to be wanting revenge in that game as far as I 100%. see it. But, you know, we'll kind of see that the Browns may take a whole a whole different type of form now that Deshaun Watson is a quarterback for them. So we'll kind of see how it goes. After that, then they play the Bucks in Tampa. Ooh. They play the Patriots on the road. Ooh. Then they play the Bills. Ooh. And then they finish, they finish up with the Ravens at the end of the year. I would say the easiest opponent there is probably the Bucks. No offense to Tom, but I mean, no. like, division rival and Deshaun Watson is there. Then you got, well, what was after the Bucks? you said? Patriots? Yeah. yeah, Patriots on the road. So the Patriots in Foxborough. Mm-hmm. Is it Buffalo at home? Yes. Buffalo in Cincy? Yes. And then to close the season out is what? You got the uh, Bengals and the Ravens, but the Bengals are home. Tough. It's a tough. It's a tough slate. It's a tough slate. They should. Well, you know, knock on wood here. They should probably beat the Browns, but 
we don't know what we're going to get with the Browns with Deshaun at the quarterback exactly. spot now. That's why I didn't want to say that's winnable or anything like that. But besides the point, the Bengals have found a way to overcome a multitude of narratives that we both believed were a little too premature. We had our doubts early on. The offensive line again, that was that was a big point of concern. Yeah, especially was, when they made when they made that investment this offseason. You cannot blame the front office for making the moves that they made to bolster the offensive line. That that was their key point of concern based off of what happened in the, in the Super Bowl. Not even that. I mean, he got Joe got sacked what nine times in the divisional round against the Titans, and they still that won that a, game. That was atrocious. But yet they still won. It really kind of goes to show how good Joe Burrow is, despite the amount of pressure that he's faced from opposing defenses and the fact that he didn't have an offensive line to protect him. Joe is able to keep up, is, is staying upright the entire time. Bro, he's killing it. And you could tell, like, in that game against the Chiefs, he looked comfortable. He never looked like he was flustered. He never looked like he was uncomfortable or, like, he was in a situation where the lights were too bright for the situation at hand. That's he Joe just cool, seemed, man. He was, he was, he looked cool, calm, and collected as far as I saw it. And if he's able to maintain that for the next four to five weeks, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. As long as he doesn't turn the ball over, which he does, exactly. have, a, he does have a tendency to do from time to time. He's not perfect in that regard, but no, overall, definitely not. The, the Bengals are in a much better place than they were about a month and a half ago when I, there were a lot of doubts about them. And it had a lot to do with the offensive line. But they've seemed to correct those issues, and we'll see whether or not that they can con uh, continue their success because they're definitely one of the more, I would say, surging teams at this point in the NFL. I mean, four-game win streak, yeah, I'd say so. So, they going to be in your top five? No, we'll, leave, we'll leave that for later. We'll leave that for later. That'd be fun. I know, you, I know you got the power rankings this week, so. Oh, yeah, I'm ready to go with that one for sure. But with that said, we are going to transition to our next game. So we're going to kick it over to the NFC East. And we are going to talk about a tie that took place between the Commanders and the Giants. Uh, Kevin and I, we seemed pretty confident in our pick with the Commanders winning that game. But I have to say, the Giants really showed that they could run it with the Commanders. Um, at one point, uh, the Giants were up 20-13 to 13 in that game. The Commanders were able to bounce back to tie the game at 20 apiece. But neither team was able to make that final push to get three points on the board or a touchdown on the board to settle the difference. And based on the result, if we look at the record of both teams right now, uh, the commanders are sitting at seven, five and one, and the giants are sitting at seven, four and one after this week, 13 matchup. So Kev, to kick this one to you, how would you assess this game between the commanders and the giants, which actually ended up in a tie at 20 points apiece? And where do you think both teams go from here now that, week 13 is in the back i mean just just to kind of like clear this out i mean this is the example of how good the nfc east has been it is just dead set competitive tough gritty football i mean 20 points both defenses played exceptionally well nine sacks between both teams taylor heineke unfortunately was sacked five times daniel jones was sacked four times i mean but you look at it and the difference here is Daniel Jones played efficient football, but again, because of the sacks, because of the pressures and their inability to move the ball consistently down the field, they were not able to do anything outside of their 13-point second quarter. They scored in the third quarter, yes, to make it 20-13, to 13, but again, like Kyle said, the Commanders come back and score seven in the fourth, but I mean, it's a tale of two halves. The, the Commanders were up 13-0 to zero at one point. Like, I don't understand how, once again, 
this just happens that way. Or at least 10-0, to zero, excuse me, because I don't know when the commander scored their three points as opposed to the Giants scored their 13 points. So I could be completely incorrect. Once again, I didn't watch the uh, the first half of this game because I was watching the Eagles game. But what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to understand and comprehend on what planet people try to bash these teams. Taylor Heineke is nothing flashy. Taylor Heineke is not going to go out there and win you a Super Bowl throw for 400 yards. We have said this literally every single week the commanders find ways to win games. What he does do is he adds a certain confidence. He adds a certain element to this team to bring them within striking distance, whether that's um, grit, whether that's toughness, whether that's polite in the locker room, whether that's the, the, the positive mentality at the podium. Once again, for whatever reason, the commanders are doing well compared to what they were with Carson Wentz. And he didn't have a bad game. He had two touchdowns and 275 yards. Pass rating of 101. When your offensive line doesn't protect you, that's when it becomes complicated. Again, he was sacked five times. But again, both defenses played very well. Daniel Jones went for 200 yards flat and a touchdown, but he also had 71 yards on the ground because we all know that Daniel Jones is a very mobile quarterback. Now, what I'm looking at here is both teams were able to run the ball efficiently. The Giants ran for 134, and Washington ran for 165. It was just not being able to convert, not being able to score when it mattered. And again, at the end of the day, no teams were able to uh, uh, manage a touchdown or field goal in overtime. So it ends in a draw. It actually is fitting because both teams are very similar. The quarterbacks on both teams aren't exactly the greatest things in the world, and both teams lean on their running attack. Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson, some plays with Curtis Samuel for the commanders. And then, of course, you have the dual threat, abil- dual threat capability of Daniel Jones and, of course, leaning on Saquon Barkley. The receiving core, however, for Washington is a lot better because you have Terry McLaurin. The receiving core for the commanders is healthy. You have Curtis Samuel, Dotson, Gibson, Thomas, even Brian Robinson was able to get some catches out of the backfield, the big back out of Alabama. But when you go down the receiving core of the Giants, Kenny Galladay wasn't able to go today. He was sick. You have Darius Slayton, who played sick. He had 90 yards. 90 yards. Isaiah Hodgins, 44. Daniel Bellinger, if I'm not mistaken, that's their tight end. Richie James. Like These are just a bunch of random no-name people. I'm not going to blame the Giants not winning because of their lack of depth, but it just did not seem like both teams were able to give that last Hail Mary punch, that last Superman punch to, to kind of put one team to bed. At the end of the day, I would say that both teams still have an opportunity to make the playoffs here because, again, they tied. It's not a loss. And Philly is probably going to run away with this. But, again, with Dallas winning against the Colts tonight, that puts Dallas in that upper echelon conversation of being right behind them with a matchup set for Christmas Eve, if I'm not mistaken, Dallas versus uh, Philly. So, I have to say that the, the the fate of both teams are in their in in their own hands. They they can't sit here and hope. Well, I need Dallas to lose this week, and then I need the 49ers to win this week, or this that and the third. Like all these win loss scenarios, you have to focus on what you have week to week. And I think with the Commanders playing the Giants and the Eagles over the course of the next couple of weeks, and vice versa, the Giants also have to play the Eagles twice and the Commanders again. So there's going to be a couple of duels here where both teams have to get it done. It's a five game stretch. It's got to be done. The Commanders have a bye week coming up, if I'm not mistaken, next week. So they get to rest up. Chase Young will be back after that. So maybe he adds a different dynamic because we all know that the Commanders defense has played exceptionally well over the course of the last, I want to say, month and change. So 
you add a dynamic pass rusher like that, this could catapult Washington into the playoffs. And then as the Giants maybe start to get healthy at some point in certain positions, you may say the same for them. But again, it is solely dependent upon what each team can do with what's presented in front of them. Great game. It was entertaining. I thought that they went back and forth. And again, at the end of the day, I'm not necessarily surprised it ended in a tie because both teams are very, very competitive. And it just goes to show the NFC East, best division of football this year. I want to hone in on one of the points that you made about just how competitive this NFC East is. And not only that, about with the commanders and the Giants essentially controlling their own destiny. Because, I mean, let's face it, Kev, you pretty much just outlined it perfectly. This NFC East is just stacked from top to bottom. And it is completely the opposite of what we expected coming into the into this season. Kev, we both, we had like long soliloquies about the NFC East being an absolute dumpster fire coming into this year. And I think, you know, we had either like the Cowboys or the Eagles winning the division, but like the last two, like the last two teams in the division, they were basically going to be like the gutter teams of the NFC. Now, not, not just the NFC East, but the NFC to a larger extent, but that has not been the case this year. And really they've just, they not only met expectations as far as just being successful, they've exceeded them as far as I'm concerned. And, I think we may have to reassess like how we look at the NFC East from here on out. But I want to focus on where both teams go from here because, you know, like you said, Kev, this was just a back and forth game and neither team could really make that final push to get the win. So I've got both of the teams' schedules pulled up here. I'll start with the Giants. The Giants are going to be in a tricky situation here, Kev, because they got to play the Eagles next. The Eagles are the best team in the NFL so far, just as far as their record is concerned. Then after that, like you said, after the Commanders have their bye week, the Commanders and the Giants run it again on December 18th. Then the Giants got to play the Vikings. And the Vikings are still one of the better teams in the NFC this year. And they got to go on the road to Minneapolis to play that game. They have a winnable game against the Colts on New Year's Day. And then they finish the season with the Eagles on the road. That is going to be a very difficult matchup as far as I see it because when I look at it, the when I look at these four to five games that the Giants have, I think only a couple of them are winnable. I think the only one that they can win for sure is probably the Colts game. But the Eagles matchups, the Vikings matchup, and even the Commanders matchup that they have, these are not easy games for them. And with the amount of injuries that they've sustained on both sides of the football, I think it's going to be very difficult for the Giants to be able to really run the table here to potentially get a playoff spot. I think the only way that they make it is if they continue to rely on Daniel Jones and not turning the football over, playing good complementary football with a well-balanced attack with Saquon Barkley in the backfield and hoping that the defense holds up by limiting the amount of points that they're giving up and hopefully getting some turnovers. Because if they at least get some turnovers, hopefully you would think that Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley would be able to turn those turnovers into points because you know, points are really coming at a premium here with the Giants because they just don't have a top-flight offense to work with. But at least their defense is stingy enough to at least keep the game competitive. Now I got the Commanders as far as what they have left on their slate. Like, like I said, you know they got the bye next week, and then they play the Giants once again at home. I would slightly favor the Commanders in that one, but based off of what happened in this game, really is a toss-up. The Commanders then go on the road to play the 49ers. Now the 49ers have their own situation. They have their own issues to deal with now that Jimmy Garoppolo is out for the year with a broken foot. 
So that could potentially be a winnable game for them. I actually think that game is going to be very competitive because both defenses, I think, are going to play up to snuff that day. And points are going to be very difficult to come by in that one. So the Commanders definitely have a shot in that one. You, I can't just write that one off for the Commanders losing that one. Then the Commanders play the Browns at home on New Year's Day. And then they finish up against the Cowboys at home. So their last two games are at home. And even though this slate is not necessarily easy for, for the Commanders, I think it's a little bit better than what the Giants are presented with. I just believe that the Giants are facing too many top flight teams in the NFL at this point in the season. And with the amount of injuries that they sustained, unless they can get these games to just a defensive battle where points are going to be very difficult to come by, I think it's going to be too much of an uphill battle for the Giants to be able to overcome those injury issues. And I think that really kind of gives the commanders an inside track to potentially make the playoffs. The Giants could still make the playoffs if they play their cards right and maybe go 500 from here on out. They would probably get one of those last playoff spots as far as the wild card round, uh, the wild card spots are concerned. But as far as I see, the commanders, I think, definitely have a little bit more of an inside track to get one of those wild card spots than the Giants. But who knows? Maybe both teams really play up to snuff and they both find their way into the playoffs. So it is kind of difficult to tell where both these teams are going to go from here, but I've laid it out as best as I could. And if I had to pick between one or the other, I'd have to favor the commanders in this one. I think they just offer a little bit more stability as far as I see it. And they have been one of the hotter teams in the NFL the last month or so. So I'm going to give a slight edge to the commanders as far as I see it for the rest of the year, potentially making the playoffs. I mean, like you said, schedules speak for themselves. It is what it is. And I am a firm believer in if you want to win, you got to go out there and do it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying when both teams get a little healthier, when they get some players back, maybe this game will kind of spark a little bit underneath them to be like, yo, we just tied. <laughs> um, I, I, I am such a big fan of tying being shit in the league. Uh, I, I'm a f big fan of the college rules. Put it at the 2025, whatever it is, and let them have a shootout. Um, you're professional athletes. If kids are doing it with no pay and risking their life, just do it. It makes it more entertaining. You'll make more money. Like, I don't understand why they're not doing it. If you, instead, of, instead of focusing on extending the season, which is just stupid, and cutting preseason games and minicamp deadlines, which is, again, stupid, Mm-hmm. Change the overtime rules. Overtime happens every week, it seems, especially lately with yeah. all these offenses being high-powered. Let these people play. Let these men play. Nobody likes tying. I'd rather lose than tie, personally. As a competitive person who wants to go out there and win, I would rather say, you know what? I gave it my all and I lost, as opposed to the clock running out and being like, well, well fuck, this is stupid. That's, no, again, no. that's just my personal opinion. No, I, I definitely feel that. I mean, for me... I would rather have a 15-minute overtime period like they used to. With this 10-minute overtime period that they have now, the idea, the the likelihood of actually tying in a game is a lot more likely to happen now than it ever did. I mean, those extra five minutes, it may not seem like much, but a, an extra five minutes of game time, that could mean a big difference between, you know, getting a tie and either getting a win or a loss. And I will say, you know, when it comes to this game specifically, I know the Giants players don't feel like this because they probably felt like they played good enough to win. But as far as what we saw going into the game, bro, I'd have to count this as a moral victory for the Giants. Simply just because of all the injuries that they've been dealing with, not only in the defensive side, but on the on the offensive side. I mean, Kev, when it comes to their wide receiving core, 
I mean, you got like second and third string guys for the most part outside of Darius Slayton. You know, when they lost Wandale Robinson for the rest of the year, I mean, they were already slim to begin with, and that's with having Kenny Galladay in and out of the lineup. But even when he's there, he's not the there. fact that they were able to tie against the commanders with all the injuries and Daniel Jones as your quarterback and him only having six incompletions in that game. That is really a testament to the coaching staff preparing those guys going into this game and the players being put in a position to at least give themselves a chance to win. Granted, it didn't end in a win, but I have to say. If I had to look at it between the Commanders and the Giants, I'm probably more impressed with the Giants, the fact that they kept that game competitive as they could, despite really the obstacles that were faced in front of them, because I really thought the Commanders were going to win this one by, you know, a possession or two. I think the score that I had for this one was like somewhere around like 23 to 14, and it ended up being 20-20, but overall, man. And the irony behind it is funny because the Giants had a chance to walk off and win it with a 58-yard field goal in overtime as time expired, but Gano didn't have the distance. It was short. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if we're, I don't believe in moral victories. You lost, you lost. A tie is a loss to me. I, I Personally, again, I don't give a shit. Well, well, um, yeah. we, don't, we don't give participation trophies out here. Just, well, it, it's, the, it's the NFL. And that's, what why, it, what it is. and that's why I said the Giants players are not looking at it that way. The Giants yeah, agreed. probably thought that, no, we did enough to win that game. I wanted to make that point clear. I'm just speaking up, like, from my perspective. It's like, I mean, if I had to pick it, though, I mean, the Giants, I, I didn't really give them a chance to win that game in any way, yeah. shape, or form, just because the commanders have been too hot lately. But overall, you know, the result like that, it really kind of goes to show, man, both those teams were going at it, though. Like, they wanted to get that win. It's just unfortunate that neither of them could pull it out to get a dub. But I guess... You know, that matchup that they'll have in two weeks from now will really settle the difference. So we'll kind of see where it goes from here. But uh, with that said, we'll we'll keep things in the NFC East. Uh, We'll focus on the divisional leaders in that NFC East with the Philadelphia Eagles just absolutely destroying the Titans by the score of 35 to 10. Kev, this game was not really competitive as far as I see it. It's just the Eagles from beginning to end, they just owned the Titans, and especially in the second half, uh, they really ramped it up, and the Titans just had no answer for Jalen Hurts and the offense. And Ryan Tannehill with the offense with the Titans, they just could not get anything going. Derrick Henry was essentially a no-show in the game, was held to a relatively pedestrian performance. And, you know, with the win, I mean, the Eagles are just on fire right now. They're 11-1. They have the best record in the NFL, and they comfortably hold that number one seed in the NFC at this current moment in time. So Kev, to kick this one to you, how would you assess the Eagles after them just destroying the Titans in week 13? And how do you think this impacts them as we get closer to the playoffs? Bro, pure unadulterated ass whooping. Like we're talking about the Philadelphia Eagles being 11 and one right now. And everyone always says the strength of schedule. Who have they played? What have they done? Blah, blah, blah. Right. You still have to win. Point blank period. You still have to execute. You still have to find a way to close out the game with your points being higher than the opposing teams, right? They had one bad game. They had a couple bad games, but I'm talking about the loss that they had. They had a bad game and they lost, so the undefeated season is over. Boo-hoo. Nobody gives a shit about undefeated seasons. The Giants won a championship, what, nine and seven? Nobody cares how you get it done. It's about getting it done. 
Jalen Hurd said it when they were 5-0 and a couple of months ago. I hate the narrative of being 5-0 and or 6-0, and whatever it was at that time. He goes, it doesn't make a difference. He, I'm pretty sure he made the analogy of Bama being undefeated and then losing in the national championship. Like, it makes no difference what the regular season is. Yes, it's good to build and solidify a home field advantage or whatever it is that you need to do in the regular season to make the playoffs easier or more manageable, but... The Eagles are focused on something bigger, and that's the Super Bowl. And you can hear that in the in the way that Jalen Hurts talks. You can hear that in the way Sirianni talks. And all the veterans on this team, like Fletcher Clocks and, and so many other people like Darius Slay and so on and so forth. What I'm getting at is the Eagles have one of the worst rush defenses in the NFL, right? Everybody knows it. Multiple people have run all over them. It is what it is. Derrick Henry is arguably the best back in football. 30 yards. This is what I've been saying about the Tennessee Titans for years now. They're a one-trick pony. If Derrick Henry does not do well... They don't win. It's just point-blank period. Their record when Derrick Henry has under 100 yards is horrible, and that's just a fact. So then you go and you just have to put the ball in Ryan Tannehill's hands. They don't have the opportunity to do much because the offensive line's falling apart. Philadelphia sacks them six times. Philly has stepped up in every opportunity that they have needed to. Have they played the hardest schedule in the NFL? Absolutely not. Have they dominated teams that they needed to? 100%. In the big games that they have needed to win, the Dallas game, yes, it was Cooper Rush. It's still a division rival, and Cooper Rush was playing well. And at the time, Dallas's defense was arguably the best defense in the league. Minnesota, oh, it's a primetime game, blah, 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 blah. Kirk Cousins had a primetime game on Thanksgiving, and he beat Mac Jones and the Patriots. So, again, look at the Vikings now, 9-2 and two, or 10-2, and two, whatever it is that they are. Philadelphia is out here playing Tennessee, who was leading the the AFC South. Nobody was saying anything when Tennessee was on a win streak. Nobody was saying anything when Tennessee was dominating people when Derrick Henry had over 200 yards rushing. I'm just I'm just saying, you know, it, it's give and take like anything else. Now, when it comes to what the Titans were able to do, they were able to take the run game completely away from Philadelphia. They have arguably, if not a top three rush defense in the National Football League. Bar none. It's it's just a fact. They have, I think, the worst, if not second worst, passing defense in the NFL. But when you're able to lock down opposing running backs and not be able to give the, an offense uh, another avenue of getting yards and gaining uh, t- gaining points and scoring, that's big. The Eagles only ran for 67 yards, 2.8 yards per carry. So what does that mean? I'm just, you know, dramatic pause here, right? I'm being, oh, oh, I want you guys to think about it. That means Jalen Hurts has got to find a way to score the ball, right? Jalen Hurts has got to find a way to make things happen. Jalen Hurts goes for 380 yards and three touchdowns and one on the ground. So four total touchdowns. Um, MVP. That's all I have to say. Best record in the league. Immediate massive improvement from last year to this year. Second, if not league's best offense. And then you go and you play the league's best rush defense, and usually that would deter people to say, damn, Jalen Hurts isn't going to be mobile, you know, Miles Sanders is going to be hindered, blah, blah, blah. No, he goes for almost 400 yards. I've had enough of the, 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 the narrative of he can't lead a team. Is he in his third or fourth year? Yes. Is he Patrick Mahomes? No. Josh Allen? No. Joe Burrow? No. He is Jalen Hurts. He does what he needs to do week in and week out to put his team in the best position to win. I think this game staples him in the conversation. Not has him mentioned, not has him in the conversation, not has him like coming in like his foot's like creaking in the door. No, he is 1000% in the conversation. If Josh Allen, who is one of the worst turnover prone quarterbacks in the league statistically this year between interceptions and fumbles, 
if he is in the MVP conversation and they have more losses and they have struggled against worse teams, why is he in the conversation? Jalen Hurts and the Eagles have a better record, a better offense. I'm just, I, you know, I'm trying to make comparisons here. I'm trying to understand. So the Eagles blow out the Titans 35 to 10. They continue to dominate the NFC East, and they're going to have some tough matchups coming up in the next couple of weeks. They got to play the Giants two times. They got to play freaking the Commanders. So there is going to be 100% more things to go through as the season progresses. But again, they're 11 and 1, and they've done what they needed to do. Let's start putting some respect on Philly because seriously, at the end of the day, are they going to win a Super Bowl? Nobody knows. But they're doing what they need to do. And Jalen Hurts is right there in that MVP conversation without a doubt. Kev, I got to say, you really come full circle based off of what you did last week. You picked against them. You picked against I did. I, I, dude, it's Derrick Henry. They haven't been able, they didn't, they couldn't stop Damian Pierce, a rookie. I'm what? what am I supposed to do? Derrick Henry had a shit game the week before. I thought he was going to come into this game pissed. It's like you said in the analysis, they're a one trick pony. And I remember when we were talking about this game last week in the lead up to this weekend, if the Eagles were able to contain Derrick Henry to 50, 75, even 100 yards rushing, I think that they could probably take that to the bank. It's like, you know what? We could live with that. Because more than likely, that would mean that Ryan Tannehill would have to go out there and carry pretty much all of the pressure on his back to get Tennessee that win. And guess what? We both know this. We don't have faith that Ryan Tannehill is going to do it consistently. I remember after that Bengals game uh, in the playoffs last year in the AFC Divisional Round, we basically said that his tenure as a Titan to do really anything special was basically over because Derrick Henry runs that team especially on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, when you look at this game that took place on Sunday, I mean, the Eagles just smashed them. There's no other way to say it. They just beat the brakes off of them as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, Kev, I mean, you pretty much hit the nail on the head when it comes to where the Eagles go from here. I mean, the Eagles have the best record in the NFL. They've only lost one game, and it was a divisional game where had they not turned the ball over, more than likely they'd probably still be undefeated. So they're definitely one of the, best teams this year they have a really good track to possibly make the Super Bowl this year but I mean Kev I think you know your analysis with Jalen Hurts potentially being in that MVP discussion honestly I think it's kind of overdue I mean he is the leader of the offense of the best team in the NFL and he's been solid this year he's been a great quarterback this year and it's just I find it kind of ironic that we haven't really heard him mentioned in any sort of MVP discussion just because it's really been focused on Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. Now you could probably even throw Joe Burrow's name in there based off how he's played the last couple of weeks. But you look at Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts has been extremely consistent this year. There hasn't been really too many games where we could look back at a specific set of games. It's like, yeah, he really struggled. Yeah, he was awful in this game. That's not the case here. Jalen Hurts has been a model of consistency. He's completing a high percentage of his passes. He's getting his... Numbers, as far as touchdowns are concerned, up. He's putting the yards that need to be put up in every single game. And he's putting the Eagles in a position to win football games. And as far as I see it, he hasn't, do any, he hasn't done anything to detract from that. Now, granted, the Eagles haven't had what I would consider the most difficult schedule to work with. But that's out of their control. They have to play the games that they have on their slate. And they've been dominant this year, as far as I've seen it. You know, outside of the Commanders game, whenever they've gone up against top-tier talent, 
they've smashed them, including this one, with them beating the Titans by 25 points. And even I picked the Eagles to win this game. I didn't think that this was going to happen where they were going to win by four possessions. But, you know, here we are. And we only have a couple weeks left of the season to go. And the fact they've been able to maintain this type of success in a division like the NFC East, which has been outright phenomenal this year, I think it's even a bigger uh, credit to Jalen Hurts. They can't really slip. They can't falter here because the Cowboys are nipping on their heels. They've been behind them, very close to them, pretty much the entire season. Yet the Eagles don't let up. The Eagles have been one step ahead of them the entire season. And if they continue to play like this, the Cowboys are going to be playing second fiddle as far as I see it in the NFC East just because the Eagles are that good. And it's largely led by Jalen Hurts. Nick Sirianni has been great with the play calling. And when the defense has needed to step up to make plays, they have. You look back to the beginning of the year against Kirk Cousins and the Vikings on that famous Monday night game. Man, they looked like they, they made Kirk Cousins look like a varsity level quarterback. Just couldn't do anything against that Eagles defense. You look at Ryan Tannehill against the Eagles defense, couldn't do anything. Derrick Henry was an absolute no-show in this game. Credit to the Eagles defense. When the Eagles play these top-tier teams, or at least what I would consider better teams in the NFL, they rise to the occasion to make the plays that need to be made. And when you make enough of those plays, you end up getting the results that you get. You get wins by essentially three or four possessions. So the Eagles are in a great position here. I think that they're one of the favorites to possibly represent the NFC this year to make it to a Super Bowl. And as long as there aren't any disastrous injuries that make the Eagles take a step back, I think they're in prime position here. Because as far as I see it, the NFC is really kind of in a, I would say an unstable situation just because, you know, Jimmy G broke his foot with the 49ers. They were one of those dark horse Super Bowl teams that definitely t puts them in a step back and maybe puts the Seattle Seahawks in contention for the NFC West. You look at the Vikings. I mean, the Vikings are the top team in the NFC North, but the Eagles already beat them. They already smashed them. In the NFC South, it's an absolute tire fire of a situation with the Bucks leading that division at a sub-500 record. So you could definitely make a good case that the Eagles are far and away the best team in the NFC. And as long as they can contend with their own teams in their division, you know, really the sky's the limit as far as I see it. But no, Kev, I, the point that you made about Jalen being in the MVP discussion, it is well-deserved. He's earned it as far as I'm concerned. And if he's able to maintain that style of play, he's definitely like top two, top three MVP. Uh, he's like in the top two, top three of MVP candidates as far as I see it. But overall, I think the Eagles are in a solid position here. And we'll see where they go from here. Yeah, we're talking about over 600 yards on the ground, right? Nine touchdowns in terms of rushing. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, he is a quarterback, right? So everybody likes to hear the quarterback numbers. Mm -hmm. A 68% completion percentage, 2,940 yards with five games to go, mm -hmm. 20 touchdowns, three interceptions, good. a 108 passer rating. On what planet... With that touchdown-to-interception ratio, completion percentage, and everything else I just listed, is he not in the conversation? I can't understand. Is it 4,000 passing yards, 50 touchdowns? No. Usually, the MVP goes to the most valuable player in the league to the best team, if not one of the best teams, right? That's usually what happens. In this case, 
He has the best team, one of the best defenses, great coaching staff, great receiver core, mm-hmm. arguably the best tight end in football. This is the most complete team in the game. I said one of the best offensive lines in football. They had like nine oh. false starts today. It looked absolutely uh, atrocious. Oh, I thought you said one of the best tight ends in the league. No, maybe, no, no, I mean, no, 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 no. I, 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 maybe I just misheard that. We no, said no, offensive, offensive line. lines. If, okay. if I did say tight end, I apologize. But when Dallas Goddard is there, which he's not, he is one of the better. He's well above average. He yeah, can yeah, block he, and he definitely, can catch. Definitely. So you have that. I may, so I may have just heard that either. wrong. I may have heard that wrong. I, you may they're have not, said offensive line. They're not healthy either. Dallas Goddard's out. Jordan Davis just got cleared off the practice, off of uh, off of IR or whatever injured list he was on. And then you also have uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson. He's out indefinitely with a rib, oblique, whatever injury he's got to deal with. So we don't even know when he's coming back. Hopefully he'll be back by the playoffs. So as the Eagles get healthy, as this team continues to play as they've been playing, I'm not comprehending where we have a discussion on when he's not in the conversation. I'm not saying he's definitive, I, definitively going to win it. It's just, dude, we come on, man. We got it. It's, he's I, definitely in that talk. I just want to rehash this just for fun. I can't believe that you actually picked the Titans to win over the Eagles. I granted, you, we we could Monday morning we could Monday morning quarterback this thing to death. You know, now that we know the result, I was kind of surprised that you. We're leaning that heavily on the Titans on that one. I, I dude, I genuinely thought Derek was gonna go for like a buck fifty. I, I have mean, seen, I, I dude, I watched so I many Eagles games. I have seen people run them over, like embarrass them. Quarterbacks may have two interceptions, maybe a strip sack fumble. They've been sacked a shit ton of time, but when it comes to a run heavy team, can't stop them. Were Were you basing this off of the fact that the, the last two games they've looked? kind of somewhat human they only had the one point win over the colts and then they did win the against the, the commanders but they they won against the packers but that game kind packers of became came back a with garbage time but like i'm just saying like i'm just kind of surprised that you really like leaned that heavily that derrick henry would be like that big of a focal piece to where like he by himself would be like the focal piece to get them that win for the titans I mean, I expected I, a listen, much. I, don't I expected a much closer game. I was not expecting a blowout like this. I mean, no, again, I don't think I was anybody... obviously proven wrong. At the end of the day, I've been wrong like what seems to be all weekend because I also picked the Patriots to win. So you know, kudos you got, to me. You got the big. You got the biggest win of the week, though. You picked the Bengals. That's because you, Joseph is the man. Because Joseph is him. Correct. He's that dude. He's but, that dude. but. We do got to talk about somebody that we thought was him, somebody that we thought was up and coming, and that's got to be Tua Tagovailoa. So we transition into our next game, which is going to be the Miami Dolphins traveling to San Fran to go and play the 49ers, and this game got out of hand. And my God, this is not necessarily the opposite of what I expected because I did pick San Fran, Mm -hmm. but I'm looking at this and I'm saying, what happened? Like, just look, again, I I saw the game, but I'm just looking at the box score and I'm like, how, where? Like, I was confused. Tua Tungavailoa turned the ball over three times, ends up leaving in the fourth, and obviously Jimmy Garoppolo breaks his foot. He's out for the season. And Brock Purdy, out of Ohio, out of Iowa State, Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick of the draft just a few years ago, comes into this game, goes 25 of 37, 210, two tuts, and the 49ers win. So, Kyle, I'm going to kick this to you. It's kind of like a 2 themed question because it's going to be a question for both teams here how do the dolphins bounce back after an embarrassing performance like this 
And are the 49ers done without Jimmy Garoppolo? All right, so I'll start with the Dolphins first. No, I don't think the Dolphins are in like a terrible situation where like they fall apart from here on out because of this game. Okay, we talked about this game uh, in the lead up uh, last week. And I remember mentioning that had either team lost this game, I don't think it would have really hurt them in either way. Because when it comes to the Dolphins, the Dolphins are definitely one of the better teams in the AFC as far as I see it. And despite the fact that they're in a very competitive division like the AFC East, they've really shown that they can run it with really good teams and come out on top. Now, in this game in particular, this was a game that they probably could have had a better performance. And this had a lot to do with the fact that, obviously, you know the 49ers losing Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, that's a huge blow as far as I'm concerned. And I thought the Dolphins could have potentially taken advantage of that. They didn't. They left some plays out on the field. That 49ers defense was really up to the challenge because they were able to force some errant passes by Tua. And, you know, the 49ers were able to get some turnovers in the process and turn those turnovers into points. And for the fact that the matter is, is that, you know, granted, the Dolphins had to go on the road. They had to go all the way to San Francisco for this game. And I expected a much closer game than what we ended up getting. And for the fact that the Dolphins lost this game by two-plus possessions, that's going to be one that stings. You know, looking back at the film after this weekend, it's going to be tricky just because, you know, I understand that the 49ers have a really good defense. But, you know, the Dolphins have one of the best wide receiving cores in the NFL. You got Tyreek Hill. You got Jalen Waddle. You have Mike Gusecki at your tight end spot. And they just weren't able to make the plays that needed to be made. And that's despite the fact that the Dolphins got off to a very good start in this game. Basically within the first play or two, they had like a 75-yard touchdown, put them up 7 to nothing early in the first quarter. And yet throughout the game, just the 49ers were able to string drives along to get points on the board. And then you combine that with what the defense was able to do against the Dolphins. They just made more plays. And they ended up being... Uh, victorious at the end of the day as far as the 49ers are concerned but when it comes to the Dolphins look the Dolphins are still a team to contend with as far as I'm concerned I mean hell even if the Dolphins lost this game like I said I'm not too worried about them Tua has shown me this year to be an effective quarterback you combine that with the fact that he has a great wide receiving cast to throw to they run the ball pretty effectively on the ground this was a letdown game for their defense. Their defense could typically play better than this. So this could be one of those anomalies for them. And I think, you know, when it comes to the Dolphins from here on out, this is a team that we still have to pay pretty close attention to. Um, this is just one of those games that they just let slip from them. And when I look at their schedule from here on out, they've got to go back to, uh, they stay in the West Coast as far as I'm concerned because they play the Chargers next week on the road. Then they got to play the Bills on the road. Then they play the Packers. They play the Patriots, and then they play the Jets. So there still are some winnable games here, and there's a very good chance that they could finish the season with 11 or 12 wins. And, you know, with that type of win record, they're still going to make the playoffs. They would probably be a wild card team, but I'm at the point where the Dolphins definitely have an advantage. They definitely have a leg up on the competition, not only in their division, but in the NFC to a larger extent. And I still believe that they're a playoff team. Now let's get to the four. Let's kick it to the 49ers. The 49ers, as far as their Super Bowl chances, it's pretty much over with as far as I see it. And when Jimmy went down with that broken foot early in the game, I understand that Brock Purdy came in there and did a solid job in relief. But 
I don't believe that Brock Purdy is going to be the guy th- to lead this 49ers offense to the promised land and possibly making a Super Bowl. I just don't see it. I had that faith with Jimmy because Jimmy has shown time and time again that he can lead the 49ers into deep playoff runs. Got them to the NFC Championship game last year. Got them all the way to Super Bowl 54 where they unfortunately lost to the Chiefs in Miami that year. But when I look at the 49ers, I still believe that they are a playoff caliber team and a team that could still be quite surprising if they get into the playoffs because nobody expected them to get all the way to the NFC Championship game last year but they were able to make it happen. And this could be one of those situations where it seems like the odds are stacked against them. And they are really stacked against them because they've lost both of their starting quarterbacks. They've lost both of their starting quarterbacks this year. They lost Trey Lance at the beginning of the year with a torn ACL. And now Jimmy Garoppolo with a broken foot. If Brock Purdy could just maintain the offense to put points on the board and keep this offense viable, I think that's huge. And guess what? They have the requisite pieces outside of the quarterback position to be able to put points on the board. you got Debo Samuel, who is essentially a Swiss Army knife when it comes to just total effectiveness on an NFL offense. you got Christian McCaffrey, who's one of the best running backs in the league if he can stay healthy. you got Brandon Ayuk, Jawan Jennings, and you got George Kittle, who's one of the best tight ends in the game. There are pieces here that Brock can work with to keep this offense viable. So I'm not saying that they're going to fall apart and they're going to miss the playoffs entirely. That is not the case here. They are still probably the best team in the NFC West as far as I see it. And if their defense can continue to play at the level like they did against the Dolphins this past weekend, this is a team you still have to look out for, that you still have to respect. I don't respect them as much now to possibly make the Super Bowl because Jimmy's out, but I'm not going to count this team out entirely. This team from top to bottom is still very well-rounded. It's just we have to see how Brock is going to play from here on out. And I will say, in relief effort, he did a solid job. Had over 200 yards passing, was relatively effective in completing his passes, and put two touchdowns on the board. Honestly, that's pretty solid as far as I see it. You know, as a third-string quarterback, you know, they're pretty limited to begin with. And the fact that we were able to get a pretty solid performance out of Brock with all the situations that were going on in this game, good on him. But I am gonna say that you know with Jimmy out for the rest of the with Jimmy out for the rest of the year, this team is gonna be tested. It's already been tested with the amount of injuries that they've had this year. But we'll see what happens from here. I still believe the 49ers are a good team. Same goes with the Dolphins. It's just we have to see how each team is gonna move from here on out because each team has its own obstacles to deal with. But I think the 49ers, they're in a little bit of a dicier situation here than the, the, the Dolphins. The Dolphins didn't lose their quarterback. The 49ers did. Now we have to see how both teams respond. But Kev, the floor is yours from here. Um, I know I had a lot to say there. No, you're good, bro. I mean, you've pretty much nailed everything on the head here. I mean, for the most part, I'm kind of just looking at this saying, 49ers defense is no joke. There's no question they're the league's best defense. It's not an argument. It's not a discussion. They absolutely annihilated every aspect of the position or every aspect of the, the, the term defense that you can linebackers played great corners played great safety coverage was great pass rush was amazing I mean for God's sakes Nick Bosa had three sacks by himself so I'd say that that's pretty solid if I had to say so myself and those were the only three sacks that they were able to accumulate onto a, to a tongue of Iloa but I'm looking at this from a bigger perspective I will say that the 49ers make the playoffs 
This defense is good enough to carry them. This defense is good enough to keep them competitive. Brock, on the other hand, I saw some misthrows, some overthrows, some underthrows, some bad decision. But he hasn't been practicing with the first team. He hasn't been getting any reps. I think that Kyle Shanahan will prep him as the weeks progress. I think that if they continue to stick with him as the season moves forward, they will be okay. I agree with Kyle. I think their Super Bowl chances are gone. But I think that Brock could still lead them at least to be competitive. In this particular situation, it was a, hey, we need you right now. The definition of next man up. Jimmy goes down in the first drive. Kid probably looking like, um, I've been holding this clipboard all season. What the hell am I supposed to do? And he came in and he played decent. Not great, decent. And as the weeks progress, I believe that he will get better because I think that Kyle Shanahan will prep him, and I think that his defense will keep him in games even if he does struggle. Now, they did say that they were probably going to go out there and sign somebody to not only be his backup, but hopefully a veteran quarterback to just be there in case Brock decides to falter. Um, happy second birthday to my son, Sabo, who is currently at my, wi- at my, on my side. Um, two years old today. It is midnight, so had to give him a quick shout-out because I've been away from him for a couple of hours. But uh, to get back to the analysis... I think that this was a little bit of a concern for the Dolphins because Tua Tungavailoa struggled. You can blame the ankle. You can blame the fact that Jalen Waddle got hurt early on. You can blame it for the fact that the running game was non-existent. Tua had to step up, and Tua had to show that he could compete against league-leading defenses outside of Buffalo. When he played Buffalo, their defense struggled because there were a lot of injuries when they played early on. There were a lot of people that were already out before the game had started. Now you go up against almost a completely fully loaded and healthy 49ers defense, and you get mopped off the floor. I mean, he had a QBR of 19. (laughs) Tua couldn't get anything going. He had a fumble and two interceptions. He had three turnovers today. Unacceptable. Are the Dolphins in panic mode? No, because they still have their starting quarterback. Tyreek Hill still went off. They have Jeff Wilson. They have Raheem Mostert. Like They know that they have the capabilities to do so. It's more so of the fact of... The defense wasn't able to play efficient, and that offensive line struggled to keep Tua protected and clean. So I will say, kudos on San Francisco. Wow, words are hard. Kudos to San Francisco. However, they're going to struggle for their own reasons. And then, of course, Miami, I know that they lost and they struggled, but I think that they have a bright future as the season progresses because adversity like this, a tough game like this, will either make or break your season. I think Mike McDaniels, his, motion, his emotions on the sideline, his face really showed this is not who we are. And I think that he is going to use this as fuel to push the narrative and push the envelope to say, guys, this was an ass whooping. This, 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 this cannot happen again. And if they want to make the playoffs now that Buffalo leads the division, I believe that they're going to have to not just win out because of how competitive the AFC is as a whole, but if they don't reclaim that division spot, It's going to be very hard for them to get in there. So I think that there's going to be a decent amount of pressure on the Dolphins moving forward. But still, disappointing in terms of how the game ended up. Happy for the 49ers. Disappointed for my brother and his team and the Dolphins. Nevertheless, we will see how it progresses as the weeks go on. Yeah, it's just... That's a major bluff for the 49ers because, I mean, Kev, Jimmy was having an effective stretch. And... It's just unfortunate that he went down so early in this game. But I will say, if there was a silver lining to that game against the Dolphins, was that Brock stepped up in relief and actually played really well. 
you know, despite all the circumstances that he was faced with, he was able to do what he needed to do. And I will say, if they're able to get that type of play from him from here on out, and not only that, if the defense is able to play in any way, shape, or form like they did against the Dolphins, I, I still believe the 49ers are a viable team. When it comes to the, the Dolphins, though, the Dolphins, I even said it last week, if they were to lose this game, I wouldn't necessarily be too concerned with them. Like, they're still one of these teams that I still have to respect in the AFC just because they've been able to show that when they go up against top-flight teams, they could be able to put up points and be able to get wins. Obviously, in this one, they fell incredibly short. But, you know, maybe this is one of those games, you know, you look back, it's like, yeah, we left some plays out on the field, made some mistakes, and you use it as motivation and fuel to get it back next week. And granted, you know, they stay on the West Coast. They got to play the Chargers next week on the road. So we don't really know what the Chargers are going to present just because of how many injuries that they've had this year. But overall, you know, when it comes to the Dolphins, I think the Dolphins could be able to bounce back from this. You know, and they so. honestly and they honestly have to because they got to keep at least some sort of pace with the Bills and the Jets, even though the Jets faltered uh, this past weekend. You know, the, the Dolphins are a team to contend with, but they have to still be on their A game from here on out because they still have some tough games left on their slate and they can't afford to slip up consistently uh, at the end of the year. But that's pretty much how I see both teams right now. I think both teams are in decent situations. The 49ers are probably in a little bit more precarious just because they lost their quarterback. But, you know, we got four or five weeks to see how both teams handle it from here on out. Hey, man. Jimmy. As a big fan and defender of you, get well soon. Seriously, nothing but well wishes for you and, of course, your camp, your family, whatever it is you decide to do in free agency. I don't know if San Francisco is even going to waste the time. With both quarterbacks being injury-prone, as it seems, if they're even going to bring Jimmy back, even after the start that they've had, um, we'll kind of pay attention to see what happens with all that. Obviously, a broken foot is not like a torn ACL or anything like that, so he'll probably recover before the Super Bowl, at least, I would assume. It's just a matter of... I mean, I, I, I then again, then, then again, know. you're yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I, again, I, I, I actually take that back because if they're ruling him out for the year, then that would mean that recovery is probably going to be longer than just the February. So, so, so I retract my previous statement. No, 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 no. What I'm trying to say is, I hope that he is okay to come back and have a healthy year. I was thinking the same thing because I wanted to, to look into the details of like what like the actual injury was. Mm -hmm. From what I heard, I think Kyle Shanahan said in a uh, post-game press conference that there were multiple points of fractures. So it broke in a couple places and they already basically ruled him out based off of the fact that he's getting season ending surgery. Yeah. And, and based off of what I read from the article, this seems like at least a two to three month process to rehab it, you know, and, and broken foot. It's tough to bounce back from. So, oh, yeah. you know, fortunately for him, um, Based off of what he did this year, it's going to set him up, I think, pretty nicely for free agency. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't think he's coming back. I think they're going. I mean, I don't, I, I don't think so either. I, they're going Trey Lance, and that's their guy. They, yeah. they probably kudos to John Lynch for making such a great decision. Tool. I just, I don't have anything to say about that. I've, I've, I've spoke my truths with Jimmy. They're going with, they're but, going with the, they're they, going with the when, when they got Jimmy, when they got Jimmy, they win. Period. That's it. It's a fact. 
Numbers prove it. Statistics prove it. Did you win a Super Bowl? No. There's a thousand reasons why you probably didn't win that Super Bowl. Doesn't matter. The point of the matter is you win with Jimmy, you don't with others. So good luck with Trey Lance. Any or way, the next game is going to be tomorrow's Monday night game. Not exactly the most exciting or intriguing. Um, the NFC South is probably the worst division in football just because of the fact that all teams are under 500. And uh, Tom Brady isn't having the greatest season, but that's Kyle's boy. So, Kyle, I'm going to kick this one to you. Despite both teams' struggles and how their seasons have panned out, who do you have winning on Monday night and why? I'm going to go with the Bucks, But, Kev, I'm going to be honest with you, I do not have a lot of faith in them. Because I just looked at the injury report, and it is not a pretty sight for the Bucks, especially on their defense. From what I've seen so far, you've got three what I would consider top-flight secondary pieces of the Bucks that are probably not going to play. Antoine Field Jr. is probably going to be out. Sean Murphy Bunting is probably not playing. And Mike Edwards is probably not playing in this game. Their defense has already been riddled with injuries the entire year. This just kind of continues that notion as well. And when it comes to these divisional games... Everybody needs to be on deck for these. And so far this year, it's been hit or miss with the injuries, especially on the defensive side. And I will say, when it comes to the Saints, they don't really present a danger offensively. But you tie in the factor of the injury issues on the Tampa Bay defensive side. I'm saying that the Saints could potentially put up some points here. And I think that that could actually make it a more compelling game than we're probably giving it credit. Because let's face it, and when it comes to the Bucs, I'll focus on them for a second. The Bucs offense has just been a complete shell of itself compared to the last two years since Brady first arrived in Tampa. It just seems as if whenever Tampa's offense hits the field, it's, if, it's as if they have to grind. And I mean, it's an absolute grind for them to get touchdowns because they just do not come as easily as they have the last couple of years. You look at Brady's first two years in Tampa, he put up over 40 touchdowns in each season. This year, he'll be lucky to hit 20. I mean, we only have a couple weeks left in the season, and I don't even think he's hit 15 touchdowns, which is just kind of insane because Brady usually puts up somewhere between 25, 30, and when you look at Tampa specifically, he's put up over 40-plus, and that's despite the fact that he's in his mid-40s. The only thing that's probably making it better for Tampa this year is that he's not turning the ball over as consistently as he has the first two seasons. He, I think he had 12 interceptions in each season with Tampa so far this year I believe he only has two so he is kind of saving them in that regard because things could be a lot worse in Tampa and that's kind of putting it mildly because they're still a sub 500 football team and you look back to last week they should have beaten the Browns and they fell short in that game when by and large the defense held up the offense was able to put up enough points but there were stretches where that Bucks offense could not get anything going against that Browns defense. And unfortunately for them, they gave up a lead in the fourth quarter. And the Browns were able to win the game in overtime on a game-winning field goal. Actually, I think the fact it's not a game-winning field goal. It was a game-winning touchdown by Nick Chubb. So, you know, and that was coming off at the heels after the Bucs have won a couple games in a row. It looked like they were getting their mojo back. And then they fall right back down to earth. And going up against the Saints, when it comes to whenever the Bucs have played the Saints in any sort of primetime game since Brady's been there, the Bucs have struggled. And, you know, maybe that could continue in this game. But 
for me, I just simply do not have faith in the Saints to put up a decent amount of points in this one. They got shut out by the 49ers last week. It was a 13 to nothing loss for them. And Andy Dalton it didn't really do anything to excite me in that game. And in this one, man, they, they got to make some sort of moves to be competitive in this game because they're sitting at a 4-8 and eight record right now for the season. It looks like, by and large, that I'm not going to say that they're tanking, but it doesn't, look like, like, it doesn't really look like they're doing anything actively to get into any sort of, oh, man, we could actually make the playoffs type of mindset. But, you know, both teams have really struggled this year. Uh, the Bucks has really been more of a surprise. We didn't really have too much high expectations with the Saints. Maybe like a second-place finish for them was the highest that we saw from them potentially this year. But, you know, sitting at 4-8, and eight, they're just they're just a dumpster fire as far as I see it. But as far as this game is concerned, I'm going to say the Bucks win this one in a one-possession game. I, I think the Bucks might put up 20 points in this game. I think that Saints defense is going to be able to limit the Bucks to around 17 to 20 points. But I think the Bucks will be able to get 20. And you know, when it comes to the Saints, I got them somewhere around 13 points. Just because I don't have a lot of faith that Andy Dalton's going to lead this team uh, to put up you know, 10, 15, 20 points. I mean, maybe, maybe 15. That's kind of pushing it as far as I see it. It's just, I don't have a lot of faith in the Saints as far as I see it, but I don't have a lot of faith in the Bucks either. So I'm going to go with the Bucks in this one. It really, my whole demeanor with this segment is kind of indicative of the NFC South, if you haven't noticed by now, but I'll go with the Bucks on this one. I just favor Brady more than Andy Dalton in this one. I'll just kind of leave it at that. Yeah, can I can I kind of end this with I don't care? Like, can we like yeah. go to the next? Like, like, it, <laughs> like uh, I know I, I'm gonna give just my bare minimum opinion here. I, I obviously don't just want to kind of end it on something stupid like that. Chris Olave is one of the better rookies to come out of this class, despite having the ineptitude of Andy Dalton, who has had some good games. I'm not gonna say he's been the epitome of shit. I mean, he is. He does have a two to one touchdown to interception ratio. It's fourteen to seven, so he's not complete dog crap. But at the end of the day, uh, when you have Olave and a weakened secondary in Tampa, and of course you have Andy Dalton who knows he can stretch the field and a dynamic two-way back in sense of what Alvin Kamara can bring with receiving and rushing, I think that this is an opportunity for the Saints to steal one. And I'm also just going to go against the grain because you know I, I don't really give a shit if Tom Brady wins or not. I, just, I, I think that personally because of their struggles already offensively and now you're losing personnel defensively, as you've already struggled on the defensive side of the ball over the course of the last few weeks, I think that is not a successful formula for the Bucks to go and try to defend home field advantage or home field on a Monday night game. I think the Saints have an opportunity to come in and steal one. Um, I think Andy Dalton plays not conservative, but he has a decent game, 200, maybe 225 yards, a touchdown. If he can keep the ball away from Tampa, no fumbles, no interceptions. I believe that with time of possession, if you're able to run the football effectively with Kamara and Mark Ingram, I believe personally they can win this game. And it'll be a close one because both offenses aren't exactly the craziest in the world and both defenses aren't exactly the, the best. But again, I think that this could be somewhere along the lines of 17, 20, 20 to 24, something like that. And that's assuming Tampa's going to score upwards of 20 plus points. So I'll go with my first prediction with 20 to 17 in favor of the Saints. They'll move to 5 and 8. Tampa will fall to 5 and 7, and yet somehow, some way, these teams, if not one of these teams, will be going to the playoffs. Kind of a sad state of affairs when you think about it, right? 
Yeah, I think the NFL needs to change the whole postseason structure. I know that it's not often when a divisional winner is under 500. I know we haven't seen it since the Seahawks, I want to say a decade ago. But I just personally, again, I, I, I think that we need to go with like top 12 teams. Like, I, I think it makes the most sense. If you make the playoffs, it's because you're working and you're winning. You shouldn't give it to them by a technicality of divisional winner. In this case, who are you really rewarding? If anything, you're giving the opposing team playing this team the advantage. Can anything happen as football? Yes, but I'm just saying in general, I personally believe, like, it would be best suited with 12 best teams or 14 best because now it's expanded to seven per conference. Yeah, I... I mean, I still don't mind the whole division thing. I think when, when I look at it, like this year with the NFC South, it's it's been bad. But that's an understatement. But you know, typically, like when you see like a division that's this bad, usually I think these are mostly anomalies. You can maybe see the NFC East the last couple of years has been one of the down divisions, even though this year it's completely flipped over. Like flip for whatever head. reason, I'm waiting for it to snow in like Florida, and if for it to be like sunny in Seattle, like every day, it's like yeah, it's because, not normal. I mean, basically, hell's frozen over when it comes to the NFC East being this good. Nobody had that penned in this year. Nobody. We saw maybe one or two teams maybe being above 500. That everybody else was going to be sub 500, but no. Usually, when you see teams that are this bad in the NFC South in particular this year. I, I think, by and large, these are mostly anomalies. You know, you might have a team that either cracks 500 or is a 500 team going into a playoffs. Th this could be one of those rare examples where one team is actually sub-500. But I don't think it really happens that often compared to... No, I don't, I don't think around. so either. I just, I think that, again, just for the sake of if a team works hard, like if... It, if, if there are three wildcard spots. Like, yeah, but I'm saying if a division winner nine and seven like it used to be nine and eight, which is what it could be now, I don't think that's fair considering the wild card teams have a win or two over them, and then they're going to get a home field game because the fourth seed will play a wild card team. Yeah. It's just again, I I don't personally find that fair if the wild card team is busting their ass, but they have the Chiefs in their division or they have the freaking they have the Eagles in there. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying for the record of. If you're playing in a competitive division, but you still make the playoffs, for you to not be home because it's a divisional opponent or, excuse me, a division-led playoff structure, I don't think that that's fair. But I nevertheless, I, you know, I don't want to harp on the postseason. We still have a topic to discuss, and that's going to be this guy's boy right here, Anthony Davis, bro. 55 points? Mm -hmm. 55? Mm -hmm. Damn, that boy out here a hooping. Mm -hmm. So the Lakers have been playing better as of late. And Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we talked about this a little earlier. He, well, excuse me, they are eight and two in their last ten games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're 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 fighting to stay relevant. They are playing better as of late. They're getting healthier. So I'm just going to pose this one to you. With AD returning to form to an extent, would you say that this puts life in the Lakers' playoff hopes? I mean. Yeah, I would definitely say that there's definitely a little bit more life than when there was probably a month ago. Things were looking awful with being a part of the Los Angeles Lakers about a month ago. I mean, the team got off to a terrible start, and there were a lot of 
rumors, reports circulating around. It's like they needed to trade Russell Westbrook immediately based off of how ineffective he was to start off the year. And I will say, I will give them credit because I didn't give them a lot of hope going into the season. And when they started off the way that they did, I thought that you could basically just write off the season as just an outright failure because it really did look that way. But I have to say, Anthony Davis has just really taken the league by storm and he's taken the team by storm with how effective he's been, I'd say, over the last month. I was looking over his individual stat lines from the games that he's played in for basically the last month. And every game that he's played in so far since, let's say, the first or second week of November, he scored 25 points or more in every single game. And it's basically culminated in this game that they just played against the Wizards this past weekend where he dropped a double nickel. He dropped 55 points and has just been a one-man wrecking crew for the Lakers. And I would say it's about time because when it comes to Anthony Davis, the the rumor and the, the rumors, the jokes have just been flying off the handles for the last couple of years when it comes to Anthony Davis and not being able to hit the court because he's always in street clothes because he's never out there because he's dealing with some sort of injury. Well, I can't say that about them. I can't say anything about him this year in that regard. He's been there on the court and he's playing at such a high level that I got to give the guy respect. This is probably the best stretch of basketball that I've seen Anthony Davis play as a member of the Laker since he first arrived. And that includes some of the stretches that we saw him play in that championship run where the Lakers won in the bubble against the Miami Heat because he was phenomenal in that playoff run for them. And since then, he's largely dealt with a bunch of lingering injuries. This year in particular, that's not the case. This is the healthiest I've seen him look in years. He looks confident. He's bringing a level of swagger that we haven't seen from him in the last couple of years. And I think he was the one out of the entire group that just had enough of the inadequacy and the inconsistency and the incompetence that really mired the Lakers in the first month of the season because I think he was just sick of losing. And I think there could have been even rumors of him potentially being traded a couple of weeks ago. I think even I floated that idea around. I was of the mindset if they were going to trade somebody, it would be Russell. But, you know, if you weren't able to trade Russell, I mean, AD's name could have popped up here and there, some trade rumors. But, you know, when it comes to the Lakers, a lot of their success lately has been predicated on Anthony Davis. LeBron James, when he's been available, has been playing very solid lately. It's just the injury issues have been kind of a lingering matter as well with him. So, I mean, that kind of comes with the territory. He's in his late 30s. He's he's going to be more injury prone than he was in his late 20s. That just is what it is. There's nothing you can do about that. But overall, the Lakers are in a better space now than they were a month ago. They still are a sub 500 basketball team, but they are trending in the right direction. I believe they're in 12th place in the Western conference, but you know, if they're able to pull off another, another couple wins here and there, get above 500, that will definitely improve their playoff seating. We still have a long way to go. We're not even at Christmas yet. And as far as I see it, the NBA season really doesn't start ramping up until Christmas anyway. So if they could get a little bit of a hot streak here, uh, before we head, head into these Christmas games, you know, at least that will put them in a better position in the Western Conference. But I'm still of the mindset when it comes to the Lakers, if they were to make the playoffs, I think it would still be an early exit simply just because there's too many good teams in the Western Conference. You got teams like the Suns, you got teams like Golden State. I know that 
the Mavericks are kind of down in the dumps right now, but I'm not going to count them out either. You still got teams like the Nuggets. I mean, there's still a boatload of teams that he has to contend with in the Western Conference. And as far as I see it, the Lakers are a team that is playing better, but you know, you put them in a playoff scenario where they have to go up against younger teams where those teams are younger, they're hungrier. I just don't see the Lakers coming out on top of those scenarios, but we'll see how things go. But I have to say, just to kind of round this out, 80s been phenomenal. Hopefully it continues for my sake. And, you know, hopefully it leads to wins and, you know, hopefully a better playoff position as far as I see it. But Kev, I'll let you take the floor from here. I'm just going to go over the slate of his most recent games because Kyle already talked about the depth of what it means for the Lakers as to the performance of Anthony Davis. So in order from his most recent game, 55 and 17, 44 and 10, 27 and 12, 25 and 13. He didn't play against the Spurs on the 26th. Now, I don't know if that was because they were resting him because he was sick, whatever it is. I know that he's healthy in the sense of he has not been hurt. So I would assume it's one of the two in terms of like a sickness or they rested him. Then right before this, right before the game, he missed 25 and 15, 37 and 21, 30 and 18, 38 and 16, 37 and 18 for the season. Anthony Davis is averaging upwards of 28.5 points on 59% shooting from the field. 12.8 rebounds, basically 13 rebounds per game. 2.5 assists, a steal and a half, and 2.5 blocks. MVP numbers. I know that Luka's averaging over 30, Tatum's averaging over 30, and a couple of other players are playing at a high level. But when we're talking about a man, like Kyle said, that hasn't been available that has been scrutinized up and down, that has technically played more games than Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and receives double the shit, I don't understand. I can't fathom or understand how in the world he's having this bounce-back year. Um, People have come at AD saying that he's no longer the pillar that he once was. He's no longer a superstar. He never was a superstar. I mean, the narratives have been flying all over the place. And to an extent, it's his own fault, but not really because you can't control injuries. But what I'm trying to get at is now that AD is healthy, people are starting to remember the dominance of why he was originally compared to Giannis in the sense of who is better before Giannis had won uh, a championship. But Anthony Davis is no scrub. When he is 100% ready to go physically, and of course he is available, there are few to little power forward slash centers that I would take over him because of his ability to put the ball on the floor, can shoot the mid-range, can span out to the three-point side as well. By the way, he's shooting 33% from the three. Once again, let's remind everybody, he is a power forward slash center. So before people bash him, oh, that's under league average or whatever the hell they're going to say, he's a big. So he doesn't have to shoot that. And he's still putting up points like this. But to close this out, if Anthony Davis continues to play at this level, Russell Westbrook has embraced his role off of the bench. LeBron James has been playing well since he's come back from injury. They just need a couple of role players to dish out 8, 10 points here, 5, 8 rebounds here. Patrick Beverly plays solid defense. You know what I'm saying? Like People don't have to go out and score 40. They need to do their jobs. Let the three-headed monster that is Russ, Braun, and AD do what they do best. But if AD continues to play like this, the offense needs to f- continue to funnel through him and everybody everybody plays off of him. 
Congratulations. I'm happy to see AD healthy. I'm happy to see him put these these rumors of potentially trading him to rest at the same time, changing the narrative. When he's available, we all know what he's capable of. I think he should be considered for the MVP in terms of like early season MVP because of how he's played over the course of the last month. But overall, kudos to the Lakers for turning this around this early after the tough start that they had. But when you have AD playing like this, it's hard not to to get excited again if you were a Laker fan. Again, I know Kyle put it a little bit more modest because there's so much time left in this season, but I wish my team was playing this well. Luca's playing well. Don't really give a shit because it's not translating into wins. But again, the sake for the sake of the content or the sake of the segment, AD's playing well and the Lakers are playing well, and I think that's the perfect formula for them. Yeah, it's just like I said, I you know I don't want to you know get too excited about it. I'm definitely no, exactly. I'm optimistic about it, but I have to kind of keep it. I have to be a little bit tempered in my reaction to it because it's December right like it's still early I think we're only what a quarter two of the months way through, like a quarter of the way through the season yeah so you know obviously it started off as a tire fire for the Lakers it was just awful <laughs> but I will say I gotta give Darvin Ham some credit for making the adjustments with the team that he's made so far I thought you know moving Russell to the bench I didn't think that was going to have much of an impact, but I have to say, since Russ has moved to the bench, he's been extremely effective. And it, I think it's a role that I think he can flourish in as long as everybody's knocking down shots and they continue to win games. And I think for me, just the biggest thing with them is just whether or not that they could stay healthy. And injuries have been a major factor for both LeBron and AD the last couple of years. But when they're healthy, they could still put up points. They could still put up buckets. It's just, you know, I have to see more consistently from them. And as long as they play like this, if they play good offensive basketball, which they've been not, they've been able to knock down shots the last couple of weeks. The only thing I'm still worried about them is they're still giving up a lot of points in the process. Defensively, they are not a strong team. So they're kind of like the nets of the Western Conference because they have to score a bunch of points just to overcome the amount of fact or to overcome the fact that they're going to give up a lot of points on top of that too. So... We'll see. we'll see. They're two games under five hundred. Could be worse. They could be like freaking like five and seventeen at this point, or whatever how many games they played. But ten and twelve, basically first week of December. I'll take that. Based off of where we were at a couple weeks ago, it was not good a couple weeks ago. So X, we'll see. Yeah, but, but I mean, guys, that is going to wrap up the content for the day. Um, it's a little in the later half, but again, we're getting it done. We're having fun doing it, and we just had, obviously, an incredible Sunday. And with the college football playoff coming up, obviously, NCAA basketball is moving, and just sports are pretty much endless at this moment. And it's just absolutely incredible for Kyle and I, both personally and, of course, professionally with the content of the podcast. But, you know, as we always say, thank you guys for the support, whether that is Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. I mean, you guys name it. Things have been incredible lately. So Kyle and I definitely notice and appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we hope you guys have an incredible week. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we prepare for Christmas and all the other things, hopefully everybody gets what they want. Everybody stays safe. But, uh, Kyle, that's everything I got, man. If you guys are, are, are good to go, we will be seeing you guys again soon. But close us out, partner. No, just once again, thank you guys for tuning in. 
whether it was on the audio platforms or watching us on YouTube, we definitely appreciate the support. Like Kev said, well, plenty of content rolling throughout the week, and we'll be back on Friday with a new episode. So definitely expect a bunch of NFL content going into week 14. I'll probably talk, uh, probably talk about a bunch of different basketball topics as well, so definitely stay tuned for that. But no, pretty much running and gunning from here on out for the rest of the year, so expect a lot of content to flow from here on out. But with that said, you guys, uh, we'll close it out from here. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you guys later this week. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B, and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric Acid. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast.